2: My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull working somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job's not just to entertain, but it's also to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Nuts and bolts matter. What companies say, it matters. And on a day like today, where the Dow gained 79 points, S&P advanced 0.22%, but the Nasdaq dropped 0.01%, it can make all the difference in the world. Before we get into individual companies, though, let me give you the big picture macroeconomic context, because that was important, too. This morning, I had the great privilege of interviewing my old co-host, Larry Kudlow, who's now the president's chief economic advisor. We did it at CNBC's Delivering Alpha Conference. It was chilling. No matter what you think of the stock market, world trade is top of mind. China is at the tippy top. If you listen to Larry, you wouldn't want to own a single share of any company that does a ton of business in China because China hasn't given an inch on trade and could ratchet up tension with our companies that do joint ventures there. Just listen to what he said. And so far as we know, President Xi at the moment does not wish to make a deal. Now, I'd love to be wrong on that. We are waiting for him. The ball is in his court. And the tit for tat
1: business, which is nobody's favorite path, but nonetheless, they can end that this afternoon. This afternoon.
2: BY PROVIDING A MORE SATISFACTORY APPROACH. AFTER THAT, THOUGH, LARRY MADE IT CLEAR THAT EVEN AS OTHERS AROUND XI MAY WANT A DEAL, THERE WON'T BE ONE WITHOUT THE APPROVAL OF THE CHINESE PRESIDENT. MY JAW dropped WHEN I HEARD LARRY TALK ABOUT CHINA. I'VE BEEN UNDER THE IMPRESSION THAT THE CHINESE MIGHT BE TAKING A MORE CONCILIATORY TONE IN ORDER TO AVOID WRECKING THEIR OWN ECONOMY, WHICH I BELIEVE IS ALREADY BEING HURT BY A SLOWDOWN IN CROSS-BORDER TRADE WITH US. We buy $500 billion worth of their goods every year, and we're putting tariffs on about half that. I thought that would bring the Chinese leadership to their senses, not to their knees, but to their senses. But I guess they'd rather have some economic weakness than be seen surrendering to pressure from the West. Obviously, it's not the case that there's conciliation coming. Larry, a free trader from way back, is now a true believer that we are already in a trade war with China with previous presidents who seemed oblivious, and now we need at last to fight back. So, so much for the distance between him and Peter Navarro, the ardent protectionist, whom I regard as the president's chief advisor on China and the trade policy in general. I took solace in the fact that Larry told us to stay tuned about other trading news, including a potential break in trading negotiations with the EU, that will begin in earnest next week. Any escalation there, for example, some uh, tit-for-tat tariffs on autos, could really disrupt world trade. But elimination of barriers, and we go much higher. Larry said the talks with Mexico are going quite well. I thought that was news. Still, anyone who watched my old pal Larry go off on China knows that if you own shares in the companies that are thought to be dependent on China, and I'm talking about a Boeing, a Caterpillar, United Tech, uh, Emerson, so many others, well, you got to be quaking in your wingtips. China's not ready to capitulate. And this trade war could get worse before it gets better. That was the takeaway. When I used to work with Larry on Cudlow and Kramer, he would give you the broad macro, and I would then weigh in with the micro, what the individual companies are telling us. So let's go back to that formula. Right now, the companies are very much at odds with the China narrative, but very much in sync with Larry's other comments about the economy. I postulated that the economy this past quarter may have grown by as much as 4%. Well, that, I, that was not my idea. It was something that Bank of America's CEO, Brian Moinan, said was possible when he came on the show earlier this week. Larry agreed and said that because of the tax cuts and the deregulation, we could be in the four-ish camp, even higher than the 3% thesis that he initially propounded when we got the tax cuts, one that so many people laughed at when he made it. It's that part of his talk, Uh, Not the China trade war that controlled today's session, but the upbeat part. In general, I think that the Chinese fears will be minimized by the results we're going to get this earnings season. What makes me so confident? Well, it was a couple of things that happened, including two earnings reports this very morning. First, uh, we want to look at United Continental, the big airline. And then we want to look at CSX, the railroad giant, and then Alphabet, the artist formerly known as Google. First, one of the biggest dampers in this market has been the transports. That's a key sector. I've always been a devotee of the transports because they're all about commerce. If commerce is weak, then the stock market is going to get weak. We we got some real downer numbers last week from Delta from American. Holy cow. They're beginning to make me question how much we should be paying for stocks in general if they were doing so poorly. And then United Continental lights it up. With a big boost to its full-year earnings forecast and a terrific upside surprise for the quarter, despite the huge increase in the price of oil. Plus, the company shaded down the capacity growth, meaning they're not going to add quite so many new planes, which is key to their ability to make the numbers down the road. My conclusion? Don't despair about the transports. Just question how American and Delta are doing versus the share-grabbing United Continental. How about CSX? All this railroad always lists how each cargo line is doing, how well it's performing versus last year, and the results, they were just staggering. <laughs> Overall revenues were up 6% for cargo. Now listen to the actual growth. Chemicals up 7%, autos plus 7%, ag and food up 2%, minerals up 7%, forest products up 11%, metals and equipment up 11%, coal up 7%, intermodal up 9 That's where they take trucks and put them on the train. Wow. Every one of these numbers is pretty fabulous for the broader economy. They sound exactly like what you would get if you do had 4% GDP growth. These numbers suggest a boom, an actual boom in housing, in autos, in mining, in manufacturing, at least in the American Southeast. As I have told you many times, we're seeing a manufacturing renaissance in this country, a sustained comeback at much higher levels than most people believe could occur, thanks in part to our bountiful natural resources, but also because of deregulation. These CSX numbers tell you what's happening. Finally, there's a quizzical one that I want to talk about. It's Alphabet. Last night, the EU slapped a $5 billion fine on its Google business for allegedly mon- monopolistic behavior. Hey, fair enough. I was up when the news came out. It was uh, surely before 5 a.m. Alphabet stock got dinged immediately for more than 15 points. But as the morning progressed, the stock started roaring. I think it's because when you have more than $100 billion in cash, it doesn't matter if the EU comes back with a fine of five bill. They can pay that fine and barely notice. Now, ultimately, the stock ended up shedding those gains and finished roughly around break-even. But the fact is, like Netflix, yesterday, when it reported that less-than-stellar quarter, Alphabet should have been down big. Yes, business is so good for Alphabet, which has its fingers in so many tech pies, search, online video, cell phones, cloud storage. People will not part with the stock even after a $5 billion fine. Why does this matter to the overall micro, my little Zach? Because it dovetails with Larry's sanguine view, aside from the China spat. And if we get that 4% GDP growth, we're going to find out that the stock market is ultimately undervalued. I think we could see a continuation of the good tech news impacting tomorrow's trading, as IBM delivered better than expected revenues after the bell. And you know what? We're going to talk to Martin Schroeder. He's the senior VP of IBM later in the show. Maybe we'll flesh out exactly how come that upside surprise occurred. Bottom line. China aside, when you look at what's happening with individual companies, business is darn good in this country, and that's good for the stock market. And how much fun it was to band with my old partner from Cudlow and Kramer about the economy's surprising strength, which didn't come as a surprise to Mr. Cudlow. Let's go to Paula in California. Paula, Jim, uh, first of all, a very special thank you for keeping us on course. During these crazy times. Well, Ooh, sure try. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank My you so much. The question is on one you touted a few months back General Mills, GIS. Given the blue buffalo buyout and the huge debt package they've incurred, I know they've done some trimming, but we've got the international trade tariffs blooming. Right. I'm warning what you see. On the horizon. Well, Paula, they surprised me. They did that gigantic equity offering, and that really did crush the stock. Uh, I think it's a long-term hold. It is a great American company, but uh, and I do believe that Blue Buff is going to be a good buy only. But wow, they hurt the balance sheet, and I didn't know they were going to do that equity offering. That was tough. Let's go to Joseph in New Jersey. Joseph. Booyah, Jim. Joe from the Garden State, and I wanted to get your thoughts on Align Technology. All right. I love this company's growth and management but I'm worried investors have gotten ahead of the company. Am I paying too much for what I view as a high-quality stock? This is one of the stocks that we anointed last year, saying people will come back to it. It's up 100 points since then, all-time high today. I can't uh, up this high just say go buy. I I just can't. It's had too much of a run. Let's go to Thomas in Florida. Thomas. Hey, Jim, this is Thomas. I want to give you a gigantic tropical
3: booyah from rainy Orlando, Florida, because it's I, raining today. I
2: like that. I, I, I like Clearwater. It's always sunny there. What's going on?
1: Wonderful. And I also wanted to let you know, I've been watching show since 2005 with my dad. I was 12 years old then, and now I'm 25. Myself and my dad, I want to thank you so much for being such an awesome guy, and we hope to continue watching you for many years to come.
2: Oh, thank you so much. When we started out, I thought the kids would watch, and now those kids are adults, and they're buying and selling stocks, and I love it. How can I help?
1: Thank you. Uh, we wanted to know your position on stock ticker INGR, Ingredient, since it took a recent dive, and we are curious what to make of it.
2: Okay, look, if you want to be in that industry, I, may, I suggest that you do be an IFF, which has come down a huge amount, or you wait till Dow DuPont does the breakup, and you'll get a division that looks very much like that. My Chapel Trust, which you can follow along by joining the ActionAlertsPlus.com club, has maintained a long-term position in Dow DuPont. That's a better, uh, much better situation than, uh, than ingredient. All right, how companies do really does matter. And it makes all the difference in the world where China is, is when China's top of mind. I think we'll eventually see this market AS undervalued if we get 4% GDP growth. Oh, make money tonight! IBM just reported earnings, and the stock's heading higher after the close. I'm gonna sit down with one of the company's top executives and parse through the results. Then, was the obituary for traditional brick-and-mortar retailers written prematurely? I'm taking a closer look at the return of the retail REITs and First Horizons down nearly 15% year to date. But should you keep your eyes on the horizon? I'll find out if it's long term story is still bankable when I sit down with the CEO stick with Kramer.
3: Don't miss a second of Mad Money follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question tweet Kramer hashtag mad tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com. or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact.
0: engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
2: What needs to happen before the stock of IBM can finally get some momentum going? Everyone thought the company needed to get its sales going again, but that happened in the first quarter, and the stock has remained listless. We heard that IBM's new fast-growing strategic imperatives division, which includes their cloud business, needed to start offsetting the slower legacy business. They've done that, too. They keep delivering on their promises. And yet the stock still trades at a laughable 10-times earnings. So what's it going to take? Tonight, IBM reported some solid numbers. Four-cent earnings beat off the 304 basis, higher than expected revenue, up 3.7% year-over-year. Year. On top of that, management maintained their full-year guidance, which may not sound like much, but when your stock trades at just 10 times earnings, really hitting the estimates or slightly beating them is a big deal. So to help digest these results, which I think seem darn good, let's check in with Martin Schroeder. He's the senior vice president of IBM. Mr. Schroeder, welcome back to Mad Money. Good to see you, Martin. Good see to see you. you,
1: Jim. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks for the time.
2: All right, Martin, I see this better than expected revenue number, $20 billion. I want to know what it's made up of and whether you're happy with the gross margins
1: that it generates. Sure. Two things, because there's a lot there. So yes. first, on, in terms of trajectory, you may remember already a year ago, we said the trajectory in each of these businesses was going to start to improve. Part of that was delivered again in the last 90 days when we grew revenue, you know, good single-digit growth, right? Pretty consistent with what we talked about. The elements of that consistent with, you know, where we've been in the past. So very good systems performance again. We said already that the mainframe when we announced it was going to have a short arc and a long arc to it. And that long arc is playing out quite well. We also got good growth in some of our cloud businesses. We got good growth in in elements of our analytics portfolio, which sits in cognitive solutions. So, So the revenue trajectory we're quite pleased with. Uh, and, and we think we think that you know we can keep momentum going. Okay. On the margin side, if you just, right. we have some mixed issues on margin as right. we always do, right? But the trajectory continues to improve from where we were, so we've seen the gross profit dollar growth out of that revenue. Right. And, you know, we'll see margin. We'll see margin stabilization.
2: Okay, I want to see that. I also uh, was gratified to see four point seven billion dollars in cloud. You're talking about a run rate for cloud that makes you one of the largest cloud Mm -hmm. companies. But we don't hear enough about it. Uh, I love the fact that you issued some of the wins.
1: Talk about the wins, how big they are and whether they're competitive. Sure. So, uh, look, this is a competitive industry, right? We've got some fierce competitors. They invest heavily. We invest heavily. So let's look at the win, for instance, that we had uh, in Australia. It's a, it's a win across all of the government, okay? So the government, you know, very adept, very uh, very uh, 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 good about how they procure, how they think about, they're on a journey just like enterprises are. And that journey includes cloud, that journey includes analytics, that journey includes some new technologies like blockchain and quantum and things. So we were able to go in and compete for what is a billion dollar contract in Australian dollars. So, you know, about 750 million U.S. Big, big platform play to help the government now take their vision of how a government should run by 2025 again these are long long right, commitments right. how they should run by 2025 will bring in all our technologies we have the process expertise to help them put it in place and importantly I think it's a good measure of what we've talked to all our customers about which is you can trust us you can trust us with your data you, you can we, trust us to get right, it done. We talk about that because there are some
2: uh, companies in the valley that some people regard as being compromised are you seeing a pickup in some wins from people who just say look I got to go with IBM because your history is to not give up
1: information. Yeah, I think there, there, there are a couple things that are really important for our clients. One, we don't compete with our clients, right? right? So, so that's really important to them. They know what our financial model looks like, and they know that we don't have an alternative monetization need, really, right. for their data. You're not giving out their names, and you're not, not taking but, their retail information and using it against them. Right, and we don't, need, we don't need that in our financial model. So they're assured of our financial model. They're assured that architecturally, we can protect their data, make sure their data stays there, and importantly, their insights remain their insights. All right, now I want to be
2: sure that everybody recognizes you're on target to meet the key objectives, at least 13.8, because some people felt that you would not make that. I read all the research. 40 billion strategic imperatives there and 12 billion in free cash flow. What will you do with the free cash flow?
1: So we always have been pretty prudent about both returning some to our shareholders, right? We've been able to grow our dividend year after year now for a pretty good track record. Uh, we return th- some through share repurchase, but we've also been pretty acquisitive. You know, We have in the past, and we continue right. to be quite acquisitive so that we can to keep building the capabilities that we need to keep winning again in a very, very competitive space.
2: Now, uh, CA got bought this mm-hmm. uh, last week by Broadcom, and I think a lot of people were kind of dazzled by the fact that CA... Uh, which works with you as a partner talked about how mainframes are very relevant in the banking industry it's a gigantic percentage they didn't get off the mainframe they must right. like the mainframe by this time or they would have gotten off
1: it yeah it's a it's a it's a great point look the the mainframe still runs you know 75 80% of the world's business they'd in and around it because it's still the world's most scalable most secure transaction processing system for business so banks air, uh, you know airlines the trains the 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 supply chains of the world need that scalability. So the mainframe, good performance again, now we're like a year now since we've announced the new mainframe. Right. And one of the things we talked about last time was that I believed at the time that the things that the mainframe does, yes, it's good for all those applications it's already doing, but the thing it does now better than anything is this idea of, of encryption. All data encrypted wow. all the time. So. So we said that I said that you mean cyber security. That's yes, I said, cyber security. I said that there's a long arc here that we may not see the same trends we've seen in the mainframe in the past. And in okay. fact, we're well ahead now of where we were at the same time in prior cycles, and I think we're well ahead because of the way that resonates with our clients. All
2: right. Now, you have a million line items, like a lot of really complex mm-hmm. companies. The one that I was confused about was, uh, you know I'm a believer in Cognitive Solutions. It did not was not up to snuff to what uh, a lot of the analysts were thinking. Is there something I'm missing in Cognitive that could explain uh, the uh, little bit of decline and the uh, margin gross margin contraction?
1: Yeah, so gross margin is something we've talked about. We've talked ABOUT BOTH OF THESE ELEMENTS IN THE PAST EXTERNALLY. SO ON THE GROSS MARGIN SIDE, WE WOULD EXPECT THAT MARGINS continue to shrink a little bit as we move to an as-a-service business. Right. So that mix itself still accretive for IBM in total, but that is going to continue to put a little bit of margin pressure in that unit. On the revenue line, yeah, that is a that has a model that will grow, right. but that that has a, is within it some, some areas that we continue to retool. So our okay. collaboration portfolio is going to get refreshed. We have still a little bit of work to do. The things that are going well, like analytics, continue to power ahead.
2: Okay, the good gross margins there. Uh, tariffs, you have such an international business,
1: too. I need to be concerned trade war well look we've we've been advocates for free trade we've right. been advocates with every government with whom we talk that the right way to go about this is to free to, to open up markets that's the way we've always behaved it's what we'll continue to advocate for and so we'll we'll keep putting forward our position that we think free trade is the right path to go down and everybody who'll listen we'll keep making right. that point
2: i know so i'm just, going a little long and nobody likes that but i but i don't care blockchain crypto uh, the wins in blockchain. I just need one line. Why would Deutsche Bank go with you? On that's a big bank, world, mm-hmm. one of the world's largest. Why did they pick you for blockchain? Is it because of what you're able to do with cryptocurrencies? Is it what you're able to do with security? Yeah. Why you?
1: I think it's uh, it's three things. Security is a big part of it, right? So so people love people love our blockchain. We have more blockchains running today in the world than anybody else. Okay. The reason we have that is because of the security that comes with it, encryption. Our blockchain runs on an IBM mainframe. That doesn't matter to them as long as it gets encrypted all the time. So one is the fact that it's secure and it's encrypted. Secondly, we have the scale. Our blockchain technologies, right? There's an open platform that runs this on the bottom. That's open source. We've made it available to everybody. But we have the scale that that, re, that big okay. businesses need, big global banks need. We're not talking about like tens and 20s of things. We're talking about tens of thousands of things per second to run scale. And then we have, uh, we have the tools and we've got the, the, built the ecosystem around all that to make it useful in your enterprise. So you have a, a technology platform that's open, right. secure, and we've got the skills to make And you have some very big wins. Thank you for disclosing the wins. That is so
2: important because it really matters to know that you are competitive in every area. That is Martin Schroeder. He's the senior vice president of IBM with a quarter that I think should start making people think, you know what, there's growth here. And there's also a lot of money being made. You may have money back in. Right?
0: Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. Earning your degree online doesn't mean you have to go about it alone. At Capella University, we're here to support you when you're ready. From enrollment counselors who get to know you and your goals to academic coaches who can help you form a plan to stay on track. We care about your success and are dedicated to helping you pursue your goals. Going back to school is a big step, but having support at every step of your academic journey can make a big difference. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.
2: This year's had some surprising moves. Back on March 1st, I told you to stay away from the retail oriented real estate investment trust. My thesis was pretty simple. Don't buy, don't buy, don't buy, don't because buy. Because in an environment with rising interest rates, you need to be cautious about the high yielding bond market alternative stocks like the REITs. And given the structural weaknesses in bricks and mortar retail, well, especially shopping malls, I thought the group was, let's say, too risky you know what? For the next two months, oh, <laughs> I look dead right. The retail REITs continue to stink up the joint. But then something unexpected happened. Actually, a few unexpected things. First, we started getting some better-than-feared earnings reports, thanks to a very strong economy. Second, long-term Treasury yields started pulling back, making the REITs more attractive in comparison. And third, President Trump's mania for tariffs for against everybody began to scare investors away from cyclical companies that do lots of business overseas. Suddenly, people wanted domestically-oriented dividend stocks and rather than being scary the retail real estate investment trusts were suddenly in the sweet spot put it all together and these retail reITs have made a remarkable comeback here but we have to ask ourselves can the rally continue is this something something uh, worth banking on or should we approach the strength here with caution be a little more critical Look, when the facts change, you know what I do? I change my mind. And the facts on the ground have clearly changed since early March. Earlier this year, the yield on the 10-year Treasury looked like it was charging relentlessly higher. Well, when we warned you about these shopping mall reads, the yield on the tenure had risen by 75 basis points in the previous six months. But long-term Treasury yields peaked in the middle of May. The yield is on, the, on the tenure is down more than 20 basis points from those highs. Didn't think that would happen. Look, the precise levels don't matter. What we care about here is the trend. When the 10-year was at three and seemed to be ready to run to four, these high-yielding REITs were toxic. Nobody wants to own a bond market alternative stock when the bond market's finally giving you some decent returns. But with long-term interest rates stalled here, the REITs have become a lot more attractive. Throw in the trade war and all the people are worried about a slowdown. And it's no wonder that the REITs, like the utilities and the consumer packaged good stocks until today, have come back into vogue on the Wall Street fashion show. But it's not just the big picture stuff. Many of the retail-oriented REITs have started taking action because of great management to improve themselves in order to fend off online competition either by revamping existing properties and selling off underperforming pieces of real estate, I'll tell you about that one in a second, or they're just kind of realizing, you know what, we got to have different kinds of companies Different kinds of retailers. Maybe we need gyms, pet stores, supermarkets, stuff that can't be replicated by Amazon. The companies are doing better than we expected, thanks to the incredible strength in all of retail. Just consider what's been going on with three of the better run players. Simon Property Group, Federal Realty, and then one that's very small that we've had on the show, Pennsylvania Real Estate Investment Trust. Let's start with Simon. That's the huge shopping mall owner with a stock that's rebounded an astounding 16% from its late April lows. What's happening here? For starters, back in May, Simon announced that they're investing $4 billion in in a bunch of major properties. For example, they're adding a hotel to Phipps Plaza in Atlanta. They're attaching an outdoor plaza, some residences, a hotel and an office building to my beloved King of Prussia Mall in the Philly suburbs. And they're coming up with a bunch of plugs to help previously pure-play online retailers build out brick-and-mortar showrooms. They're not just sitting there waiting for the Amazon apocalypse. In Simon's latest quarter, the numbers are actually pretty solid. Company delivering a nice top and bottom line beat. In fact, they even raised their full year funds from uh, from operations guidance. That's the key metric. It's the equivalent, frankly, for REITs of earnings. Yep, the company's doing pretty well. And they're also rewarding it with a bountiful 4.5% yield here. I think it's a buy. How about Federal Realty? This well-run shopping center, REIT, which has rallied a quick 11% from its April lows, still sports a 3.2% yield. Now, Federal Realty has been embracing mixed-use properties for 25 years. CEO Don Wood, a visionary in the group and a longtime friend of the show, gave a presentation last month where he explained his philosophy. According to Wood, you can't just stick a Starbucks in the lobby of an office building. The whole point of mixed-use property, he says, is to create a retail environment where people actually gather. The idea is to create an area where tenants will happily pay a premium for your stores. That's how Federal Realty tries to create shopping centers that people will keep coming back to. Remember, Don also said on the show that people want convenience, they want it now. Hey, how about living in a mall? Yeah, mixed use. Now, when Federal Realty reported its most recent results, again, we got a nice top and bottom line beat. Rather than being in trouble, the company saw its comparable property property, operating income increase by 3.8%. In short, they're doing just fine. All right, well, let me give you one that's a little more dicey. I'm talking about the Pennsylvania Real Estate Investment Trust, PEI. Not Prince Edward Island. PEI, Pennsylvania Real whatever. It's another shopping mall play that's focused on the mid-Atlantic region, one that can controversial because it had some weak properties it needed to prune. Now, this stock pays an abnormal 7.8% yield, which is very high, and I would tell you normally that it's sky high, and it's something you need to be wary of because it suggests that the dividend might need to be cut. BUT, MAN, PEI HAS rallied NEARLY 20% FROM ITS APRIL lows. WHY? SIMPLE. PENNSYLVANIA REAL ESTATE INVESTMENT TRUST TOOK DRASTIC ACTION. THEY SOLD OFF AN ASTOUNDING 40% OF THE PORTFOLIO, 4-0, 17 MALLS. JUST LISTEN TO WHAT CEO JOSEPH CARDINO TOLD US WHEN HE CAME ON THE SHOW JUST IN APRIL. WE'VE SOLD OFF 40% OF OUR, of our PORTFOLIO. And THE FUN, THE so BAD. 17 MALLS. 25 ANCHORS HAVE CLOSED IN THOSE, in those 17 MALLS WE SOLD, RIGHT? And, and the result has been that in the assets we kept, we reinvested. We took we took back 12 anchors, 10 of them are leased, two are about to be leased, um, and so we're we're well ahead of the curve as it relates to the problems, the headwinds that we see in in the retail space. Drastic action he took. Yeah, they really bit the bullet. And while the company's latest quarter was definitely mixed, with, uh, with same-store net operating income actually falling 1.6%, excluding one-time items, didn't want to see that. Management did reaffirm their full-year guidance. Wanted to see that. Stock actually got dinged on the news. I get it, but it already started running after the strong numbers from Simon, which came the week before. Pennsylvania Real Estate Investment Trust ultimately rallied to nearly 12 bucks last month. And while the stock has since pulled back from those highs, coming down to 10 bucks and changed today, this story certainly looks a heck of a lot better than it did I don't know, last year at this time, wow. As it turns out, I'm not the only one who's been busy reassessing the group. Just yesterday, Goldman Sachs upgraded the whole retail REIT sector from cautious to neutral. I like that, mostly because the stocks are darn cheap and the group seems to be stabilizing. So where do I come down? Look, it's very hard to hate these retail property owners when the business of retail is so strong. I mean, it's just tough to stay negative. There is no brick-and-mortar apocalypse, at least not at the moment and not with the stores that are left. I was a little hasty when I told you the group was dangerous at the beginning of March, but remember, it was the yield curve that changed. Are these stocks worth buying here? Now, I can't say I'm jumping up and down enthusiastic. The REITs will go right back down if long-term interest rates begin to pick up again. But let's just say, hey, I'm less negative than I was before. The businesses are just too good not to be more positive, and the manager's too great not to respect them. Here's the bottom line. i got to give Simon Federal Realty and Pennsylvania Real Estate Investment Trust credit for, help, for self-help, helping themselves. They were dealt a lousy hand, and they've done what they can to improve it. I'll definitely be watching them when they report in the next few weeks, but for the moment, I would only invest here if you're very confident that long-term treasury yields will stay down. And if you think that way, then you ought to do... Bye, bye, bye! Some buying. Frank in my home state of New Jersey. Frank! Hi, Jim. Uh uh good Neptune, New Jersey. La Dulce Vita, Booyah to you. Yeah, I'm an Ocean Grove guy. Booyah, right back at you. What's
1: up? I I know. I met you and your wife at, at La Dulce Vita. Yeah, La me Dolce and, uh, Vita!
2: And Nick and, and Uncle Joe! That is the yeah. bit the spaghetti with clear. All right, trust me. Go ahead. Anyway, uh, my question is NLY, Annually Capital, and um, uh, I, I was thinking about liquidating a lot of my own real estate and taking the proceeds and putting into that REIT for the
1: dividend income for a long term, you think it's safe, good move, or...?
2: Well, Frank, i got to tell you, it's down 12%. Next time I see you at La Dolce Vita, I don't want you to get mad at me, but I think that this is a company where it's very opaque. I can't tell what they really do. I don't like that. And if it's 11% yield, but it's down 12%, I'll tell you something. I'd rather just, uh, you know, put my money in a CD. I think it's a better bet. I'm sorry. That's how I feel. And I hope to see you this summer at La Dolce Vita. David in Nevada. David!
1: Yes, Booyah, Mr. Kramer. Booyah. Um, thank you for taking the call here. Um, I, I got a question with Omega Healthcare. O H I shot looks like it's rolling over on me. I'm trying to hang on for the dividend by the end of this month, but is it? I'm not. You know, I don't like to stay with REIT when uh, when the when the growth is so bad but I made some, I I have a chance to maybe make some money if I hang on. Yeah, but but I don't like
2: the long-term care industry. I'm concerned about that. And and remember, uh, there have been some mishaps in that group, and I am not going to tell you that I feel comfortable. Remember, Ventas is not a big fan, uh, and I feel like that what you're going to, well, she likes some of them, but what what worries me is that you could have some, let's say some exposure to the government. I don't want that. Okay, a uh, return of the REITs. I'll be watching Simon Property Group, Federal Realty, and Pennsylvania Real Estate Investment Trust to see if the strength can continue. But there's a lot of REITs that I am concerned about, including ones that are dealing with healthcare. Much more mad money ahead, including my exclusive with First Horizon. The stock's been dropping as of late. I thought it had a good quarter. Then I had the chance to talk with an under the radar super investor who delivered some of his best investment ideas today. I usually don't do this. Don't miss my list of common stocks. That could be commonsensical. I'll see how they stack up in all your calls. We're tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stick with Kramer. this market had a hard time trying to figure out what to pay for bank stocks. It's been a constant theme in 2018, but it's really been in your face this earnings season. First, we got some excellent numbers from J.P. Morgan the go rewarded group tumbles. Uh, then the whole group roars when Bank of America reports a good quarter earlier this week. Sometimes it feels like you never know how the market's going to react. But there's one thing we do know. If a bank disappoints on any big line, its stock is going to be punished. Just look at the recent action in First Horizon National, FHN, for you home gamers, the Tennessee-based regional bank with more 300 locations across the southeast. Yesterday morning, First Horizon reported inline earnings with analysts bemoaning weaker than expected revenues. And while the absolute numbers were pretty strong thanks to the recent acquisition of capital Bank, Wall Street was not impressed and the stock dropped 4%. Uh, it's now down 14% uh, for the year. So uh, what's happening here? Let's dig deeper with Brian Jordan. He is the president, chairman, and CEO of First Horizon National. Find out more about the quarter and his company's prospects. Mr. Jordan, welcome back to Mad Money.
4: Thank you, Jim. It's great to be back.
2: All right, Brian, I've got to tell you, I go through the quarter and I've seen that interest margin doing well, the acquisition doing well. Some of the analysts tell me, okay, look, the revenues weren't up to snuff and that's why it went down. I want to give the ball to you because I think that there must be more going on here. You run a great bank and the stock has been under a lot more pressure than it should be.
4: Yeah, thank you for the opportunity. I am excited about how we're positioned and I'm excited about the momentum that I see in our business. If you, if you look at our first couple quarters of this year, we spent a tremendous amount of time focusing on the integration and doing work to make sure that we minimized any adverse impact on customers or customer relationships. And, and that involves everything from training to conversion communication. We came out of the, the conversion Memorial Day weekend with pretty strong loan growth for the quarter, about 8% annualized uh, period in, 4 to 5% uh, loan growth. Our net interest margin improved for the quarter, our deposit trends were strong, and we came out with what we thought was very good momentum in our banking business. Our fixed income business was off a little bit in the quarter and that impacted our top line revenue growth. That has to do more with something we talked about a while back with the volatility in interest rates and a 3% 10 year. But all in all, we feel good about the momentum we're seeing. Credit quality continues to be good. Our economic backdrop is still very, very strong, and we're looking forward to a very strong back half of the year. So yeah. I'm, I'm excited about how we're positioned and very optimistic.
2: Well, talk about the capital acquisition uh, since Memorial Day. Uh, you had uh, not that much time to look at it, but you know, a good, solid month. And you're in some, the Carolinas, which are a fantastic economy. We know that where you are uh, a great economy. Uh, the pipeline must be pretty full.
4: Yeah, the pipelines are very strong. We, I, I mentioned yesterday on our earnings call, our 50% probability pipeline at the end of June was $2.4 billion. That's relative to a last six month and end of last year average of about 1.9 to 2 billion. So somewhere between 20 and 25% stronger, which is is very good. We have something like 306 deals where we've either completed or about to complete what we would consider revenue synergies where we've got a sale or a cross-sale or a product feature or service that is, is being driven by the integration. That totals about $17 million in annualized incremental revenue when that is done, and we think we build from there. So as we look at the, the integration and in, in the capital bank markets, we see a tremendous amount of opportunity The markets in North Carolina, South Carolina, and South Florida that we now have an opportunity to grow in are extraordinarily strong. They are markets that look and feel a lot like the major MSAs in Tennessee. We believe very strongly in the team of bankers that came on board with Capital Bank. We believe strongly in the markets. And so we think there's a lot of growth, growth opportunity, organic growth opportunity in particular for us.
2: Okay, how about capital? I know uh, it's, uh, for keep Keepwood, I like to so say, they're saying capital is somewhat thin, but they would expect that maybe you can do some uh, buying back of stock given how low the stock has fallen. Could that be in the cards for First Horizon?
4: Yes, we've, we retired about $40 million, $45 million worth of stock in the second quarter of this year and we have, uh, we think, plenty of excess capital. We've stated for, if you go back eight to 10 years, we've, we've sort of changed the, the underlying metric just a bit, but essentially equates to about an eight to nine percent tier one common uh, stock ratio. We're at nine percent uh, at the end of the quarter, so we believe we've got plenty of room in that range and we can take opportunity to pick up some there. The other thing that we have sort of a hidden capital buffer as a as an issuer of visa and a receiver of visa stock, we have something in the two hundred and fifty million dollar plus range of visa stock that has uh, about two hundred and fifty million in economic value and a zero basis on the on books. So that in and of itself creates a capital buffer. So we believe we have the flexibility to take advantage of uh, lower stock prices here, the stock being on sale, and pick up a little bit.
2: Well, I couldn't agree more. The stock is definitely on sale. doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I want to thank you. That's Brian Jordan. He's chairman, president, and CEO of First Horizon FHN. They have money. back after the break. It is time! It's time for the light round. And then the light round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? It's time for the lighting round. Let's start with Howie in New York. Howie! Hello, Booyah from Buffalo, New York. Perfect. What's up? And thank you for taking my call, Jim. I listen to you every single day, and I wouldn't miss a show for nothing. Wow. Nice. Thank you. Your your staff does a terrific job there. and... They are very good. They're firing all cylinders delivering alpha today, i got to tell you. How can I help? I'm interested in the stock AMD. I like you. I agree with you. Lisa Sue has done a remarkable job. It is a real turn. The stock does belong up here. In fact, it belongs higher. What a job she has done. Let's go to Patrick in Pennsylvania. Patrick. Who's Jim from a former New Jersey? Very close. What's up? Mike. My stock is Iridium Communications. They're yeah, it's about moved to up launch. 50%. I recommended it much lower. I have cooled on the stock a bit because where are the profits? That's why I want to know. Where are the profits? Let's go to Shand- Shandon in Indiana. Shandon. Hello, Jim. How are you doing? I'm good. How about you? I'm doing great. My question is, is uh, uh, the drug companies are in a race for Nash to develop Nash drugs. Uh, Viking Therapeutics, VKTX. Uh, it's rumored to be a takeover. Well, I don't know about that. we got to do more work on that. Uh, that's a very complicated and very competitive end that they're in with Nash, too. So let's do more work. Sarah in Wisconsin. Sarah. Hey, Jim. Big booyah from the wonderful state of Wisconsin. Oh, fantastic. We love Wisconsin. Except for Green Bay's playing. How can I help?
0: <laughs> yeah, it's not too nice in the winter, but it's good now. Um, my question is Twilio, one of my best performing stocks Jeff Lawson has done a portfolio. remarkable job.
2: He had to navigate the Uber problem. He got through. He's got Airbnb. He's got look. He's got everybody on a platform uh, for messaging. Uh, Uber, amazing in the end. Uh, here's what I have to say. I think Lawson's done a fantastic job, and in the end, uh, it's still a buy. Let's go to Robert in Texas, Robert. Hey Jim, Ashley I'm from San Miguel de Allende, Mexico. Just visiting my mom in Texas. Perfect. Let's let's go to work. Okay, tell me what's going to happen with the price of oil, and particularly with Apache. Well, Apache's problem is it's too much of its natural gas. It did have a nice move up, but I tell you, I'd rather be in so many others, but it is uh If they get that natural gas pipeline through to Mexico, they are going to do incredibly well. I will give them that, but I cannot tell you to buy it up here. Let's go to Disco in Colorado. Disco! Booyah, Kramer! Booyah! from Disco from beautiful Breckenridge, Colorado at 9,600 feet of Rocky Mountain High. Holy cow, it's tough to uh, breathe up there. What's going on? It is tough to breathe up up here. You need some oxygen. Um, I'm calling about um, CCL, Carnival. You know what carnival is oversold Norwegian Cruise crews had some good things to say I think that that whole group is t- way too low and oils come back down a little bit too and that legend of the conclusion of the lightning round. The lightning round is
3: sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
2: Tired of FANG, our acronym for Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, and Google, and the alphabet? Given that we created FANG right here five years ago, I can understand having a little FANG fatigue. That's why I was so thrilled today to interview the anti-FANG, Ed Wachenheim, a fantastic money manager delivering alpha. Because Ed's all about finding value in this market, and he's finding a ton of it that no one else seems to be considering. He's got a list of the least sexy stocks in the market, a list that puts the light of the idea that there's no cheap equities left out there. I want you to write these ideas down because Ed has such an amazing long-term track record and because I liked his book, Common Stocks and Common Sense, so much. First, top of mind, Ed likes Citigroup and Goldman Sachs, especially after the latest quarter's Now, Ed's not a flipper. He believes in a two- to three-year time horizon, and in that period, he's talking about the possibility of a dramatic revaluation for these two financials. He believes investors will come to their senses and start paying dramatically more for their fantastic investment banking abilities. That means, given Goldman's earnings power, he thinks this $230 stock could almost double or even more and still not be expensive. The key Wall Street needs to start recognizing the investment bank as a consistent grower. He was even more bullish on Citigroup. If it keeps buying back 10% of its share count each year, as it intends to do, he thinks the $70 stock could have belonged much higher in in just a few years' time. You know, you combine the higher estimates that he's got with the buyback, and he says this $70 stock could go to 130. Ed thinks the home builders are being valued like the old days when they binged on land and always got too aggressive at the top. Now he sees an asset light model uh, de- in developing where the home builders husband their cash and then returns to shareholders rather than just keep rolling the dice on new real estate. He suggests that Lenar and D.R. Horton could both go much higher, and he points out that mortgage rates are nowhere near historic highs, meaning there's plenty of room for growth. But Ed saved his best expositions for the autos, and more accurately, the truck makers. He says GM could earn as much as $8 a share, and given that the automakers have historically traded about 16 times earnings, he's thinking about a $39 stock tripling. Best for last, Ford. Ed believes that the Ford family, after years of trying to be all things to all people on every continent, has now pulled back and wants to be profitable everywhere or else, even if it means shuttering some countries and dropping the costly but not particularly lucrative Sedans. Yeah, become more of an F 150 maker if Ford did that. And he thinks they will. Then the company can earn $2.50 a share, which would put this $10 stock on track to trade up to 30 bucks Plus, Ford currently sports a 5.5% dividend yield. To me, that's definition cheap. They pay it to you while they wait for the turn. In fact, all of these stocks are so cheap that they really do make the notion that there's no real value in this market just a lie. This panoply covers three very big industries. So whenever you wring your hands in disdain that FANG is all that matters, I need you to recall this commonsensical money manager who's beaten so many of those features today, and he's done it with unloved, undervalued stocks, like the autos, like the homebenders, and the banks, three of the most out-of-favor groups in the entire stock market. Stick with Kramer. I think IBM's broken the spell. I think we finally get some upgrades. It is deserving. I'd like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow.
0: Imagine earning a degree that prepares you with real skills for the real world. Capella University's programs teach skills relevant to your career, so you can
1: apply what you learn right away. Learn how Capella can make a difference in your life at capella.edu.